John 8, verse 21. Then Jesus said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and will die in your sins. Where I go, you cannot come. So the Jews said, Will he kill himself, because he says, Where I go, you cannot come? And he said to them, You are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Then they said to him, Who are you? And Jesus said to them, Just what I have been saying to you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge concerning you, but he who has sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. They did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. Then Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone. For I always do those things that please him. As he spoke these words, many believed in him. As far as the reading of God's word, may he add his blessing to it. Beloved of the Lord, our text begins by saying, So he said to them again, and that word again implies a continuation of what he has been saying, a continuation of his discourse, but also the introduction of something new. Uh, It's a continuation of what he's been doing in the temple courts during the Feast of Booths. Uh, He had uh, said to them, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me, because they had this water ceremony, remembering that God had provided water to them in the desert, and uh, he sees them doing this ceremony and uh, sort of missing the point that there stands one in their midst who can give them the water of eternal life that springs up unto eternal life. And so he urges them, you know, forget your man-made ceremonies and come to me. I'm the one who can satisfy your thirst. And then they had a a torch ceremony uh, where they lit these bright uh, torches to remember the fact that God had led them in the wilderness uh, by a pillar of fire. And uh, he says, I am the light of the world. Uh, uh, Come follow me. Uh, And uh, again, he is uh, reaching out to them. But now uh, he sees that that he's not getting across to them and that many of them don't understand what he's talking about. And uh, so he begins to warn them. And there are two warnings in this passage. Uh, and uh, we want to, uh, to look at those. The first warning is uh, in the first verse, I am going away and you will seek me and uh, die in your sins. And where I go, you cannot come. Uh, he's warning them that if they don't change, they're going to die in their sins. Now, this warning is very similar to one he had given earlier in this discourse in John chapter 7 where he says, I will be with you a little longer, and that I am going away to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. Only this time he makes it a little stronger by saying, you will die in your sins. Now he's saying this to them because he knows that in a short time he indeed will be uh, leaving them. He will be returning to his father. 
Uh, he will be uh, uh, taken up into heaven this past Thursday. We observed Ascension Day to remember the fact that Christ was taken up from this earth physically and taken up into the clouds and uh, where he now sits at God's right hand on the, the throne of God's kingdom and is putting all his enemies under his feet. Uh, he would pray uh, later on in uh, John's Gospel in the high priestly prayer, uh, Now is the time to restore to me the glory that I had with you before the world began. Uh, well, that's what Jesus is anticipating. That's why he's saying, I'm going away. Uh, I'm going away through death and uh, by death also to uh, back to my heavenly Father. And uh, you won't see me anymore. You'll, you'll look for me. Uh, now, scholars have scratched their head. What does that mean? They'll look for him. It, it seems unlikely that... Uh, these people, uh, particularly the leaders to whom he's addressing these words more than any other, that uh, they will miss him. Uh, if he's gone, they'll be glad to be rid of him. What does he mean? You'll look for me, but won't be able to find me. Well, uh, some have thought that uh, what these words mean is that uh, they'll be uh, looking for a Messiah, not for Jesus personally, but they'll be looking for a Messiah and uh, won't be able to find uh, a Messiah because they've missed the, the only true Messiah. And uh, that certainly is the case that after Jesus uh, left, there were false Christs and false messiahs who presented themselves and the crowds uh, looked at them and so forth. And some were uh, carried away by them, uh, others not. Uh, they did indeed uh, look for, continue to look for a messiah, one to more to their liking than, than Jesus. But I don't think that's the, uh, although th that uh, was true that that happened, I don't believe that that's what uh, Jesus is referring to here. Uh, if you look at uh, verse 21 and the order of words there, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sins and where I go you cannot come. The fact that uh, they die in their sins and then can't go where uh, he is, can't join him in heaven, uh, refers per perhaps uh, more to a, a too late understanding of who Jesus is a too late a longing for him when it's uh, no longer possible uh, to uh, to find him as their savior and as their messiah uh, john calvin wrote uh, the wicked will at length feel how great a loss they have suffered by rejecting uh, the christ when he freely offers himself to them they will feel it but it will be too late for there will be no more room for repentance says calvin uh, for many in uh, Jesus' audience uh, on that day, that uh, moment of judgment came 40 years later when God poured out his wrath on unbelieving uh, Israelites who had opportunity for 40 years to repent uh, at the preaching of the gospel. The gospel was preached throughout the whole Roman Empire. Paul would say in his lifetime, uh, the gospel has been preached to every creature under heaven. Uh, hyperbole to mean it's gone everywhere in the Roman Empire, uh, just, just as Jesus uh, said it would uh, in their lifetime. And uh, uh, yet they refused to believe, and so God poured out his wrath on them. And as he's pouring out his wrath on them, they, they recognize uh, their error, and, uh, but it's uh, too late uh, now, this warning given to them has good application to us as well. 
there is an opportunity for you to hear the gospel and to repent, and uh, after which that opportunity is taken away. Uh, the Bible speaks of a day of salvation. Isaiah used that uh, expression in Isaiah 49. Thus says the Lord, in a time of favor I have answered you. In a day of salvation I have helped you. And Paul picks up on that language from Isaiah when he says in 2 Corinthians 6, We appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I helped you. Behold, says Paul, now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the day of salvation as you hear the gospel being proclaimed to you. Now is the time of God's favor. Now is the time to believe in Jesus Christ. The author of Hebrews picks up this theme also in chapter 3. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort, exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened into the deceitfulness of sin. And then the author of Hebrews goes on to uh, talk about that generation of Israelites that came out of Egypt that were uh, wandered in the desert for 40 years and died uh, in the desert and weren't allowed to enter into God's promised rest in the in the promised land. And he says they they had the same gospel that that you've heard. But they weren't allowed to enter God's rest because they didn't receive that gospel in faith. And uh, he's warning us, uh, now is the day of salvation. Uh, it, uh, at the funeral yesterday, we uh, gave attention to uh, Isaiah 55, verse uh, 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Uh, now is the time that God is near. He comes near to us in His Word. He comes near to us in the Gospel. And uh, now is the time to heed that Word, to obey that Word, because it is appointed unto man once to die, and then comes the judgment. And once uh, you are taken out of this life, there is no longer opportunity to repent and believe. Jesus is warning the people of a, a too late realization of their need for the Savior. Uh, you will die in your sins, and because you die in your sins, you will not be able to come where I am. But the warning that Jesus gave in this passage fell on deaf ears. Uh, they responded with the idea that, well, if what is he talking about? Is he going to kill himself? Is he going to commit suicide? Well, of course we can't go where he goes if he's going to commit suicide. We won't uh, uh, do that. And so because they don't uh, uh, comprehend, Jesus gives them uh, a second uh, warning in uh, the, uh, the next couple of verses where he uh, says to them, uh, You are from beneath and I am from above. You are of this world and I am not of this world. Therefore I said to you, you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Uh, Jesus is warning them that the reason they don't understand is because uh, they are from below and he is from above. Uh, he tells them that uh, they are from opposing realms. Uh, he's not of uh, this world, but of heaven. 
and they are of uh, the realm of fallen mankind. The contrast is not between a a spiritual world and a material world, uh, as in uh, Greek philosophy, but between the realm of God and the realm of fallen mankind, the world that hates Jesus because he uh, testifies that their works are evil. Nothing will remove their blindness of heart except that they be born again and be taught of God as Jesus taught earlier in John's gospel. They will not see and know the truth until they find him who is the way and the truth and the life. Although they are blinded to the truth, that does not relieve them of the obligation to believe in Jesus who stands before them and is telling them the truth. Jesus tells them again that unless They believe they will die in their sins. Only this time he says it a little bit differently. Uh, In the first verse, he said, you will die in your sin, singular. Now he says, you will die in your sins. And what he's pointing to is the fact that that faith is the key thing here. Uh, In the first instance, he says, you will die in your sin, the sin of unbelief. And now he says, if you don't believe, you will die in your sins. Uh, In other words, if if you come to faith... (laughs) All your sins will be forgiven. But if you commit the one sin of unbelief, then you will be punished for all of your sins. In other words, faith is crucial. Everything hangs on faith. If you believe, then your sins will not be counted against you. But if you refuse to believe, then all your sins will be counted against you and you will die for your sins. Faith is crucial. It's crucial for them. It is crucial for us. Only by faith can we escape the punishment that our sins deserve. Because God is good, because he is just, because he is righteous, he must punish sins. But because he is merciful, he looks for a way to to satisfy justice and yet forgive the sinner. And he has found that way by sending his son into the world to be the propitiation for our sins, to stand in our place, to live the life that we should have lived, to fulfill all righteousness on our behalf, and then die the death that we deserve to die, fulfill all the obligations of the law with regard to the penalty of the law. He uh, was perfectly righteous, but was treated as if he were a sinner, And we who are sinners are treated as if we are righteous when we put our faith in him. Again, they they don't seem to understand what he's uh, talking about and uh, uh, focus in on this uh, statement. uh, You must understand that that I am he if you don't believe that I am he. And they say, well, well, who are you? And then Jesus begins to, to speak about who he is as the, the father's representative and the father's uh, spokesman. But that phrase, you must believe that I am he, is an, a very important expression. Uh, what's Jesus referring to there? Some have thought that he's referring to God's statement to Moses at the burning bush. Tell them that I am has sent you. And although there is uh, some a relation of this to that, there's a something even more direct in Isaiah's prophecy that uh, Jesus is referring to here. The uh, the words "I am He" in the Greek language are "ego ami," and that same phrase "ego ami" is found six times 
in the Greek translation of Isaiah's prophecy. Remember that the Old Testament was translated into the Greek language 300 years before the time of Christ. And most of the Jews uh, were very familiar with uh, that Greek translation. It's called the Septuagint, which refers to 70 because historically it was uh, by uh, tradition uh, 70 scholars translated it. But uh, the Greek translation, the Septuagint, Septuagint was the the Bible of uh, many of the New Testament uh, Jewish Christians. And uh, the apostles, when they quote the Old Testament, often quote it from the Septuagint, uh, which uh, surprisingly is, is in many places not just a, a translation, but a paraphrase. And uh, sometimes scholars scratch their head. Why would they quote a paraphrase rather than the original. Uh, Why wouldn't they go for the direct translation, but they go for the paraphrase, which captures the sense of the Hebrew, but uh, uh, in uh, different words. Well, anyway, uh, Isaiah's prophecy was translated, and uh, six times he uses this expression. Let me just give you a couple examples of it, three examples of it. In Isaiah 43, he says, Uh, You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe in me and understand that I am he. I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. What he's saying there is, I am he. I am the only God. There is no God beside me. I am he, the only God, and I am the only Savior. So the phrase, I am he, is associated with the only God and the Savior. And then a little later on, he says, and henceforth, I am he, and there is none who can deliver from my hand. I work, and who can turn it back? So now he's saying, I am he, and and there's no one who can overturn my work. There's no one who can contradict my will. My will and my work are sovereign. That's who I am. I am he, the, the sovereign God who's in control. And then a little later on uh, in Isaiah 43, he says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. And so now it's I am he, the one who forgives your sins, the one who forgives your sins and blots them out and remembers them no more for my own sake. And so this phrase, ego ami, has been ringing down through the uh, centuries, three centuries before Christ, and is associated with the only God, the only Savior, and uh, the one who blots out sins, and the one who accomplishes his purposes, and no one can overturn those purposes. That's what ego ami is associated with in the mind of, of the hearers of Jesus. And he's, he's saying, I am he. That's who I am. I am the only God, and beside me there is no God. I am the only Savior. I am the one who accomplishes my will, and no one can overturn it. And I am the one who blots out your sins. This is uh, why Jesus uh, said when they, when they ask, uh, who are you? And uh, he says, I've been telling you all along. <laughs> you know, I've been claiming to be God all along, and I'm, I'm doing it again. And uh, I want you to know that... that uh, When you hear me, you're hearing the Father. And if you reject me, you're rejecting the Father. There's so many people in the world today who think, uh, yes, there is a God, but 
yeah, Jesus and the Christian church. We don't need that. Uh, uh, we can be spiritual and acknowledge the existence of God, but, but we don't need the, the dogma of the church and all this business about Christ and his two nature and his atoning death and all that sort of stuff. But Jesus says, you know, the Father and I go together. And the scripture is quite clear in other places that if you reject Jesus, you've, you've rejected the Father. And if you, if you uh, have the Father, you have the Son. And if you don't have uh, the Father, you don't have the Son. And, and if you have Jesus, you have the Father. And if you don't have Jesus, you, you don't have the Father. Uh, they go together. But then Jesus uh, concludes this passage by saying that, that you'll know that I am He when I am lifted up. You'll know that I am he when I am lifted up. Now, he's referring there to his death. And he's not saying there that that when I am lifted up, when I am crucified, uh, you'll see it and you'll be converted. Everyone will be converted. He's not saying everyone will be converted by seeing that I when I am lifted up. But he is saying that my crucifixion is a revelatory event. Uh, you know, the gospel tells you who I am. And the crucifixion will show you who I am. The gospel tells you and the crucifixion shows you who I am. It is a revelatory event. It's like uh, the heavens that declare his glory and the firmament, his handiwork, uh, uh, God's eternal power and uh, Godhead are seen in the things that are made. Well, the gospel is seen in the crucifixion. And uh, those who have eyes of faith can see uh, that Jesus is uh, who he says he is when uh, he is lifted up. The gospel uh, uh, shows, uh, the crucifixion shows that the gospel is true because Jesus has been saying for three years that I have to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the scribes and Pharisees and, and be put to death and uh, then be raised on the third day. And so when these things happen, it, it confirms the truth of the gospel. But we also see there on the cross uh, 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 the the proof that God loves this fallen world because he sent his son to die for us and to die in our place. All who come to faith see at the cross that Jesus is the one who loved us and who came to die for us. It makes a deep impression like the centurion who saw Jesus die and said truly, Truly, this is the Son of God. When I am lifted up, then you'll know who I am. Do you want to know who Jesus is? Do you want to be sure of, of what it's all about? Then he says, look, look at me on the cross. See me there, suffering. I was judged innocent. I was judged not guilty. I was the one who fulfilled all righteousness, yet I am there suffering, suffering the punishment that sinners deserve, suffering the wrath of God, suffering the curse of God. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Cursed is the earth because of you. It will bring forth thorns and see the thorns on my brow. I am there suffering on a tree and suffering under the curse uh, upon the whole world. Suffering in your place so that the curse doesn't fall on you. Look to the cross and you will see that it is he. It is God, our God, suffering in our place, dying. And that through him we find forgiveness 
as we look to the cross, that's what we should see. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for these warnings that Jesus gives and this call to look to him uh, hanging on the cross there suffering in our place, that we may see that indeed he is the only God, the only Savior, the one whose will cannot be thwarted, the one who blots out our transgressions and remembers them no more. We pray, O Father, that you would draw us to him day by day and uh, fill our hearts with joy at the knowledge that sins are forgiven for his sake. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.